Righto, righto. Let's just get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher as we look back to round 3 of this Grand Prix season, the chaotic Australian Grand Prix gone this weekend. So first of all then, red flags. There were three of them on the, this Sunday's race. There was of course the one involving Alex Albon around lap 8, the one in, involving Kevin Magnussen, sort of lap 55-ish, and then the Alpines crashed uh, on lap 57 after the third restart and that resulted in the third red flag so our thoughts on a chaotic Sunday Grand Prix and um, what we made of the end product really interesting well this seems to be a really interesting predicament for the Formula One community because I think a large part of the community has finally got their wish which means all the quiet people that previously weren't raging about safety cars at the end of of the race that's where i'm going to focus to begin with are now raging and everyone who previously was like oh why on earth would you have a safety car at the end of the race we want it to, to be stopped are now coming out in defense of it so it, i don't know we've, we've we've now flipped and we are trialing something different um it was a very interesting race wasn't it and each red flag i feel was criticized pretty much for the same reason so i think that's perhaps where we should start because this topic we're about to dive into i i think is like four or five topics folded in each other um yeah a bit like a baklava of of information if you'd like lots of layers so let's start with do you think the red flag the first one which involved alex albon going over hollow to gravel crashing out gravel onto the track do you think it was worth bringing out a red flag yes in a word i'll expand later but angus what about you yes so long as there was barrier damage which we're led to believe and that is a major factor for why a red flag should arguably be shown because if a barrier is unsafe then if a driver crashes into the exact same spot however unlikely that can then lead to severe consequences if the barrier has not been fixed so based if it was based on that then yes yeah, that's, it's interesting because I think a lot of the criticism at the time, a lot of the criticism is that's coming out, it suggests that people have a problem with gravel being on the track as well. And I think that's that's a really interesting question. And I was very much on the side of we don't need a safety car if it's, you know, if it's gravel on track. And then um, I saw a picture, um, which admittedly doesn't come from this red flag incident. It comes from a later one. Um, and it's, it's of a man and he's... He, holding a piece of debris that sliced open his arm i'm not sure if you saw that one but mm -hmm. basically 
exactly that. Uh, when the Hass hit the hit the car, part of the the, the tire exploded, the the wheel rim exploded, and it, it shot off um, debris and it actually hit the crowd and it hit this man's arm and and sliced it open. So there's a picture mm-hmm. of him. I don't know. It hits, but it's a bit of a weird picture. He's holding, he's smiling, and he's holding this picture of debris, and then there's just blood down his arm. And um, it got me thinking, really, about the situation. And it occurred to me that I, maybe I flipped my, my opinion then because it's. I think it would be warranted with that quantity of gravel on the track because it's going to take a long time to clean it up. That's, that's just a fact. And mm. with the potential of flicking um, debris, flicking gravel into the crowd, and the crowd are very close at that point, at that bit where um, where the Williams went off, Alex Albon went off, there are people right up against the, the the barriers, and so I just, I look back at previous instances, like Baku, when they kept running over the, the debris on the floor, and there's, there's you know, shattering bits of carbon fibre going everywhere, and I don't know, I, I, I think actually they might made the right call there, and actually, a lot of the criticism, I think, comes from a lack of, I guess, empathy with the idea that things can go wrong. And, you know, there's always that phrase, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And so and I think it sets kind of a, a new precedent there. Um, and then we move to the, the second red flag, which, as I say, was caused by Kevin Magnuson um, going off, hitting the barriers and his, his wheel rim exploding. Um, and then barrier damage again. So I think the the idea that the red flag is thrown because of damage to the barrier and because the gravel's okay. But I think that the, the biggest question we've now got is, did they write, make the right call, calling out a red flag with only four laps left? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it, really? Because... You could look at the first one, for example, the the Alex Albon one, and the moment that heavy machinery came onto the track, the car was partly on the track. You thought, well, you can understand why there is a red flag because we want lots of racing. But come the end, you say there with the Magnussen incident that the Alpines doing similar. You can't help, if you're the FIA, in my view, to go and throw that red flag because those cars, both uh, Magnussen's uh, Haas car and the Alpines, are basically marooned in the middle of the circuit. You also have drivers complaining, like Hamilton, for example, saying there's so many, so much debris around, so many bits of carbon fibre, uh, a wheel, for example, the actual tyre being on the track itself. And if nothing went wrong, people go, well, it's fine, there was a virtual safety car or a full safety car, they've navigated their way through it. But if, let's say, for example... You had Fernando Alonso, you had, let's say, uh, Alfa Romeo car, avoiding points or not getting points. Oscar Piastri even, failing to get points when he was rightly or deservedly going to get them thanks to bits of debris on the track. People go, well, what are the FIA doing? That's surely a reason to throw such a red flag to make sure that those who have got up the grid um, on merit, on strategy, on pace, on uh, racecraft, get get those (coughs) points correctly as they deserve and not hampered by uh, factors out of their control that could be mitigated uh, as best, really. So... In that aspect, because those two incidents of both Magnussen and the Alpine are so similar and you couldn't really get those uh, cars off the circuit or indeed large chunks of them off the circuit safely owing to, once again, the nature of this Grand Prix circuit, I do think the FA were right to throw those red flags. But if you were to have these incidents in, let's say, I don't know, uh, Austria, Monza, a non-street circuit really, a power circuit where there's uh, a lot more, sort of say, areas for 
she was to to run on and run off to and get bits of uh, carbon fiber get tires or indeed for cars to be wheeled off safely then i don't think we'd have seen the scale or the amount of red flags but it seems that when it rained it poured and um yeah at this circuit it's very difficult to go and not throw such a flag because of how tight it is to uh to the circuit really the lack of runoff areas but maybe i'm being unfair do you agree there angus do you think that the nature of this circuit was the reason we saw so many red flags of, of this kind I think that the nature of the street circuit, you're right, does lend itself towards more red flags being shown because if there's debris everywhere, then you're going to want to clear it up because you'd, you know, there'd be an argument, yes, that you don't want drivers who've gone up the grid on merit would then unfairly have their race ruined. But for me, it's clear to see that they re- if that incident happens on lap 44, they ain't red flagging the race. It's simple as that. They have this, and it's something which is like still not very clear in the rules, to be honest with you, or at least it's not been made clear in the rules. And it stems all the way back to possibly my least favourite F1 race of all time, which was the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, when Mr. Massey completely threw the rules out the at the rule book, uh, very famously, altered the course of F1 history, arguably, very arguably. Um, and it's the desire to have a race finish under racing conditions. Now that day, admittedly, was farcical because only the cars between the two leading protagonists for Stafford and Hamilton were allowed to unlap themselves. It was clearly fixed, not in not in not in favour of someone, but fixed for a conclusion. Um, and this red flag here today, um, today this weekend, the last weekend of the Australian Grand Prix, was again with the same mindset of wanting to finish under racing conditions. Now. I can see the benefits of that because you want to give the fans value for their money. The fans trundling the the cars trundling around under the safety car for the last four laps, not the greatest spectacle. Um but it's to be honest, I've always been I'm very against our sport being too I would use the phrase Americanized. In that in America, in American motorsports, they will keep going and going and going until they reach conclusion, even if that means check a flag, extra laps. And it gets a little bit ridiculous. And we saw a taste of that on Sunday. I thought, last time I checked, if a race uh, is at a red flag situation, you know how they had two standing starts? Uh, or two? Mm-hmm. Yes, two um, two standing starts across the uh, the duration of the, other than the opening lap of the race. Now, last time I checked, they'd got rid of standing starts after a red flag because it caused, quote, too much carnage or too much risk and too much damage but all of a sudden they're bringing those back in um, I don't know what's happened there with the FIA but clearly something has changed and we saw that, I thought that a fair result that would it could have been taken after lap 54 was doctored, was ruined by the fact that this standing start led to absolute carnage I for one did not watch the race because uh, I was out on Saturday night but having watched the highlights back um it completely changed the complexion of the race because you had two Aston Martins who went from 3rd and 4th to 14th and 15th. You had uh, Sainz spinning someone round. You had the two Alpines self-destructing. No surprise, by the way, that Esteban Ocon is at the centre of a self-destruction once again. Mm. Um, mm. So much was bloody going on that I couldn't even make out the fact... That I, forg- I missed the fact that uh, Nick DeVries got punted from behind by uh, Logan Sargent. That's how much can't I miss that in the highlights, and then I checked the the on they released the special onboards video. I checked that later today, and I was like, "Wait, that happened? Was that at the end of the race?" 
Yes. Um, I made and then they made the link as to why they were retired on that like lap fifty five or whatever, lap fifty six. So, I feel like it just it's. I don't know. There's the whole sport versus entertainment debate. Yada yada yada. We could go on for ages. We could do a whole episode on that. But I just feel like the first red flag. Fair enough. Debris um, as well as barrier damage. More the barrier damage is what should be, we should be focusing on. That's key. And they've thrown red flags for that in the past on plenty of occasions. But debris. I'm convinced if that Kevin Magnussen had bonked the wall ten laps earlier, they would never have thrown a red flag. They've had many many times in Formula One over the years that I've been watching where Debris is on the track and they throw a safety car and everyone survives and it's fine. So it's clear to me that because it was the end of the race and they wanted that jeopardy, forced jeopardy I call it, that was why the red flag was shown. I'm gonna I disagree with you. I disagree with you that this was all show and that though this question is gonna come up over and over again about whether or not it is all show and and the carnage was kind of engineered by the FIA. And whether or not we should just be going back to to you know previous systems and previous precedents and things like that, and and yes, there is there can be an argument made that they went too far, but th- lots of these arguments I see, and I think but a bit of your argument too hinges on the fact that there was quite a lot of destruction in what was supposed to be the last couple of laps, but that's not the FIA's fault. No one told no. the the pack to drive like maniacs. And if you think the safety car is going to fix that, then I'll refer you to the 2020 Mugello Grand Prix, where they restarted under a safety mm. car led by Bottas, and we had total destruction at the back of the of the pack caused by driver error no. at the front. That was of the an pack. isolated example. Well, it's a it's a perfect example of, of exactly what I'm illustrated. There's you know these are two. I might be able to say, well, this is an isolated example. We've had many race restarts where. They've they've not had absolute carnage. I mean, look at the twenty twenty one as uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix. That was a a, re- a race restart after Red uh, Max Verstappen's tire bl- blew out, and everyone else everyone started perfectly except from Lewis Hamilton, who had you know his front brake balance gone. No one drove drove like an idiot then, and they managed to get around. You know, there are always going to be isolated examples you can point to of, of like. But it doesn't mean it sets a, a precedent for how they should always behave. You know, it's the it's one of these odd things. Is sometimes you get these these particularly dramatic moments. I mean, you know, you, it's like it's like saying, well, we should never have a, a standing restart because you might have the embarrassment of uh, the twenty. Is it the 2020 Grand Prix when only Lewis Hamilton started on the intermediate tyres and everyone else pitted? Right. Well, then you know we'll we'll ban pitting on um on race restarts like that because we don't want the embarrassment of only one person being on the grid. You know, we, the, fundamentally, the FIA set up an action and all the drivers and all the teams react to it. And I don't think they did anything wrong here. It didn't didn't Nico, uh, didn't Kevin Magnussen hit the barrier, and so that yes. would trigger a uh, a red flag. So I. No, but it, it doesn't trigger... It, it only triggers safety cars half the time. It doesn't trigger... You don't get red flags being thrown for something like that. It got thrown simply because Isn't it was the end of the race and it's this forced jeopardy. And I'll admit, I'm not great with ch- I'm not yeah. great with change. I'll admit that. And I think this, this some arguably boils down to a battle of the F1 fans. Those open to change and those stoic 
um, stubborn folk like myself who are like, well, we describe yourself we, as stoic. <laughs> we, yeah, we have we have a system. Let's not change it. Um, and I get it's 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 good for the fans, and it's like it was a lot of entertainment. But I think it it was a little bit of a farce. I think on Sunday. Uh, I can't agree, really. I think it had to be concluded in some fashion closer to the Magic 58 versus 54 or 55 because to flip it on its head and talk about sporting integrity, how is it fair for an Alfa Romeo car, Valtteri Bottas, Guan Yu Zhou, scrapping around for points to not have the chance of four laps to go and redeem themselves after, let's say, a fairly average start to this race and campaign? If I was a smaller team, we didn't get the chance to go and redeem themselves in four laps, as we know, can make a massive difference in Formula 1 we've seen many races happen I can't cite examples from the top of my head but examples of where teams and constructors have saved their careers or turned around their their campaigns owing to the last few races of a certain Grand Prix for good or for real that's why we watch right to the end that's why people don't go oh well you know lap 50 standard isn't it really I'll switch off and go over and watch you know Strictly Come Dancing or something in the UK <laughs> so that's why we go right to the end don't we that's why we have added time in various different sports so in that in my mind it was a shame we didn't have 58 laps of a, of a natural uh, campaign if you will but it was right for the FAA to try and to try and do so really and I'd say the reason it was so chaotic again at the restart was because of the nature of the circuit as well not only is it a rather thin Grand Prix in terms of the circuit itself you know little runoff areas uh, so to speak but also the first corner is famous for being quite tight and unforgiving really and I think every driver out there thought to themselves well this is my last chance to go and do something great and perhaps, you know, their eyes are too big for the stomach and um, we got what we got, really. But that's not the FIA's fault. That's because of how things went from the driver's point of view, in my view. At least. I think also, um, I mean, I, I, you're right, Angus. As a person, I don't I don't mind this idea of in the last few laps of the race moving, you know, swiftly and decisively towards a red flag rather than a safety car. And it is my personal opinion that it rules should be introduced so that if there is some sort of you know extensive or lengthy cleanup process that has to be ha- happen on the track in the last few races in the last few laps of the race they should f- throw a red flag instead and so i am always going to be open to what happened at the australian grand prix this weekend and so that's that is a personal bias i have but the reason behind that for me is because you're always going to have a pressure on the FIA and if they do red flag the race and I'm not necessarily saying there should always be a standing start but if they red flag the race it gives them more time to go through correct the barrier clean up debris now I think the issue we've now got is in a scenario like that should you do a standing start because I would argue that you might not always want to do a standing start, but definitely red flagging the race is pretty sensible, right? So instead of being like, oh, well, we'll have the next four laps of the people jumping out, you know, the marshals going out and um, cleaning up the tracks and things like that, then, you know, we red flag the race, give everyone enough time to sort themselves out and then do a rolling restart, if you can do a rolling restart. And, you know, if if within the rolling restart, you're going to, cross the finish line as was demonstrated by the Australian Grand Prix so be it that's what happens the the question is and I think this is what we're we're sort of diving into now is whether or not there should be a standing start 
because standing starts do cause mm. some unpredictability that a perhaps a rolling start doesn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of a red flag itself, we know now, or we've known for many years, I don't think it's ever changed in Formula One, but drivers can change their tyres, they can have uh, minor and major bodywork done to their cars, saving them from terminal damage in some cases. And let's look at Silverstone 2021 as an example of that. But um, this could obviously be a huge factor for many different drivers, for good or for ill. Joel Drussell, as those who uh, may not remember, pitted early before the red flag and then essentially demoted himself, a self-inflicted injury down to P8, I believe, or nowhere near the P1 he was uh, in that time pre-pit stop. But what do we make of the fact that teams can do that? Should that be changed at all for for good or for ill in a major or minor way? Let's go with you, Angus. Yeah, I think it's a rule that I think it's been acknowledged for a while that we need to change it. But I think it's again, it's I'll admit it's the kind of thing where just like with the red flag situations, some people are going to go, "Oh, that's brilliant because it benefited them," and some people go, "Oh, that's a load of rubbish because it disadvantaged them." I'm sure that George Russell after Sunday. Is going to say, oh my god, we need to scrap that rule because look what it did to my race. And I do think it's un- it's unfortunate how, yeah, he had a stonking start to the race. Tried to take admittedly a risky move to gain track position or uh, increase his track position. And then because of an unknowing red flag, which arguably was the m- more sensible of the red flags because of the uh, the barrier damage. And because of that, he's been completely shafted um i think that rule is a bit it needs to be adapted i think i think maybe it's a situation where i think just being able to have drivers change tires it's just like it kills it a little bit like uh, early in the race yes less so but it can kill a a superb ending um one example that comes to mind it was um cast your minds back here half half of my life ago was monaco i think back in 2011 and it was the best Monaco race I've seen in my lifetime. You had Sebastian Vettel in his Red Bull days. You had Fernando Alonso in a Ferrari. And you had Jensen Button in a McLaren. Mm. And they were like a good minute ahead of the rest of the field. And Vettel pitted for, like, this is the Pirelli chewing gum tyres. Like the real chewing gum era. Yeah. Um, he pitted for tyres like 15, 20 laps before his rivals to get track position. But then for the last 25 laps, his tyres were shot because he just, he'd pitted too early. But he was still able to hold track position because Monaco. So he had this brilliant battle with Vettel, Alonso and Button separated by like one and a half seconds, nose to tail around Monaco, three of the greats of the modern generation. And then there was a big crash, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if it was involving Pastor Maldonado. I'm not even joking, but I think it might have been. <laughs> uh, the original meme, Maldonado. But... um. Yeah, and then the red flag came out. But then they could all change tyres, and all of a sudden, Vettelonso Button just went in their their final order till the end of the race because they had fresh tyres. And that kind of ruined it a bit. There, there must be a way, I reckon, to be able to have a rule where the, the, the teams can make repairs. Like, I'm not against... For example, I think it was... Was it Hungary a couple of years ago when you had that butt-ass bowling at the first corner? Yes. And you had... You had Norris yeah. and Verstappen both had like um, car damage, but there was a red flag, so they repaired it, and Verstappen went back out there with like a half-working car and nabbed a 10th place or something. Hmm. Um, now, I'm not opposed to that, like car repairs, 
to therefore ensure that more cars take to the grid and the restart. That's good. But I think, and also if your car, I'm not if your car has a puncture, of course you can change it. I'm not going to force drivers to go around on punctures because you now can't change tyres under the red flag. But I just think that like a situation like what happened on Sunday needs to be avoided, where Russell made a bold, some might say stupid, a bold decision. And then he came out in like seventh or eighth place, and all of a sudden, everyone could just cut above him by virtue of them being a red flag. Something doesn't sit right with me about that. But again, I'd be interested to know your thoughts, guys, as to whether I'm being the stoic, yes, stubborn old F1 fan, or whether I am actually making a sensible judgment for once. Well, you're pretty, you're you're your you're, you're the one that's pressing change here, Angus. You're you are you have joined us, <laughs> non-stoic <laughs> people. And uh, before hey. I hand to Tom, I think. And uh, my solution to this, because I was thinking about this exact same thing over the weekend, my solution to this is we apply the same rule as other uh, uh, as other parts, which is if you want to fix your damage under red flag conditions, you have to replace like for like, okay? And my one of the solutions is you force the same rule when it comes to tyres. So, for example, in the Australian Grand Prix, Russell Pitt's four hards and drops back in the pack and no one and um verstappen and hamilton don't under the red flag conditions because they've started on those soft tires they can only change to a new set of soft tires forcing them to pit again because they won't have fulfilled the rule of two different types of tires in a race um the other option is you say okay you are allowed to change your tires, if, but if you change your tires when the the when the race starts again, um, and again maybe this is what you say: you say we're not going to do standing starts with red flags, but we're going to do rolling starts. Um, we're all all teams that change their tires under red flag conditions must do a drive through penalty. Because that's a, that's a, all, all drivers must go through the pits if they want to um, pit. And that's maybe how you do it. You say if you change tyres, you get a mandatory drive-through penalty, which we served under the safety car restart. Um, or you say like-for-like tyres. So you can't skip the mandatory two sets of tyres or two, yeah, two sets of, of um, different types of tyres in the same race. Unlike that, or thirdly, they could even add on, let's say, I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds of their time at the end, so they have to go and take some penalty or get some sort of sanction, if you will, for cutting corners in one aspect. But yeah, in overall for me, there does have to be change. I think there shouldn't be any major change allowed in terms of saving a car suspension, for example, allowing a car that would have gone off Owens terminal damage previously had there not been red flags, then having to sort of come back from the dead, rise as sort of phoenix in the ashes, if you will. Um, minor changes to the body works fine by me isn't like an end plate for example being replaced and nose cone being changed stuff like that is fine by me because ordinarily we want to go and see as many uh, cars as we can get back to the grid but um Ultimately, there should be some, I suppose, loss of performance owing to the crash, but not terminal, if that makes sense. And tyres, again, yeah, I think punches, they're allowed because that's salvaging a car again. But um, 
cars or constructors that pit or use the red flag to go and get a performance gain or performance-related gain in terms of the tyres, that should definitely be illegal because it does spoil the fun, really, because there's been so many occasions, Silverstone in 2021 being a prime one, where essentially the overall sort of I suppose end product or the the end game we were getting from this race was changed dramatically owing to the vagaries surrounding the red flags and um, the ability for every car and constructor to go and essentially rebuild their car really owing to, to the ability they had there thanks to how long the red flag was so change I think is needed but um, not dramatic change in terms of you know you can't change anything at all because that really does sort of take the fun away from the sport and um, that's so integral to it of course but um, talking about fun and the lack of the final lap, which never really was. Um, in terms of that, we saw the ultimate order being changed somewhat owing to the uh, the FIA and their intervention, if you will. You had the Alpines going out in terms of them not scoring points. You had Alonso back to P3, even though he was uh, tagged by Carlos Sainz, and then Sainz himself penalised for a stroll-type incident. What's our thoughts on those three big topics coming from the final lap or two? And um, should they have uh, been changed at all? Should they have uh, altered how the final grid order was, or should they have kept it in a rather different order to the one we uh, we had in the end let's go with uh, Tristan on this one well Tom I think it's uh, I don't know I, I want to hear your thoughts Tom you've done the least talking so far of it so far and it's been a 30 odd minute podcast okay do you think the pre- the precedent is there for the FI to do this was it was it right because there was a certainly a, a a very unhappy Gunter Steiner and an incredibly happy Fernando Alonso if you were sitting up there making the decisions which which team would, do you think would you made happy? Tricky, isn't it? I think first of all, big ticks surrounding the Alpines being out, they should definitely have not been reinstated to where they were in the points because ultimately it was the two cars of that constructor that ended each other's race. It was a self-inflicted uh, end to the race, if you will, owing to silly driving, you could say, or you could say many not looking in their various mirrors or looking to their left or looking to the right, whatever. So good they weren't reinstated. I can't, for the life of me, understand why Fernando Alonso was reinstated to P3, but then Carlos Sainz was penalised as well. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, because essentially Sainz is then being penalised for an incident which never happened. And if I'm to compare that incident with one previously to the Lance Stroll, for example, incident of the first few laps, where... Carlos Sainz can't really go anywhere. We've spoken about how thin the track is, how uh, there's a lack of runoff area, if you will, at this circuit. I don't really know what they expect Carlos Sainz to do in that aspect, which they allow Lance Stroll to do, because it's not like Sainz is aggressively veering to one side or the other. He's simply keeping track position and not going anywhere and gets tagged or tags somebody inadvertently, really. So I can see why they've taken that precedent. Once again, Silverstone 2021, they were unable to judge where each driver was. They hadn't completed a sector to then go and re-establish a new driver order. But it seemed a very sort of patchwork, ultimate final order, I think, there, where they're allowing some to have latitude and others not to have it as well, really. So I'd have preferred something like... I don't know. Alonso not being in P3, for example, really sticks with me. And... Perhaps Carlos Sainz not being penalised would be my main sort of changes really to the final order that we got, really. But um, are there other ones that sort of grew up with you guys more than me, maybe? 
I didn't necessarily disagree with the science penalty, though. That's the thing. <laughs> because it does, ha- it did happen. This is what's really, really weird, isn't it? Because the, the stuff happens, right? Incidents happen. Cars crash out. That does happen. We all see it happens. And it's all caused by something. But because mm. of the result of the actions, then the previous lap... Um, the changes, the order, things like that don't count. And so that's the distinction there. So science definitely did tag cars and then that definitely caused, um, well, I I guess not quite as much um, like damage as like, let's say, Bottas's um, incident in Hungary where he basically tagged one car and that car went flying off into other cars you know that either that was a real a real domino effect but let's face science did outbreak himself he did i would argue cause a, a collision that wasn't necessary uh whether or not he you think he's the only one that should have got penalty i know lots of people are saying well logan um logan Sargent should have got penalty as well but he dnf'd so they don't usually give um penalties out if you also crash out yourself because that's a penalty enough now i i don't i don't necessarily think tom you and i will um <laughs> will consolidate here but mm. i i do i do think that the right penalty was given to science it's the bare minimum penalty they could have possibly given him for causing quite a substantial accident um it just so happens that because all the whole of the grid was within five seconds it turned out to be completely disastrous for him but the fia i think gave him a pretty sensible penalty um so you know it, it could could have been worse for him i think others should got penalties as well and you know for example like gasly perhaps could have got a penalty going forward given that he crashed out into ocon and joined the track in a pretty dangerous way i would i would um I would argue, so, but he's not going to because they both DNF'd and fundamentally that was a pretty bad punishment for Alpine. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a it was definitely an an odd end to the race. I think the FIA did everything by the book though. That that's that's just what happened. And I think I've I, I said this um privately to you before the before the podcast began but when i look at the the actions the fia took i mean they red flagged red flagged the race for what i think was a pretty obvious reason they, that i think everyone would admit it needs to be red flagged given the number of cars that had uh, decided they didn't fancy crossing the line um and then they no one had they hadn't properly um completed the first sector and i know that uh, there was a lot of debate about whether or not they could have used the mini sectors but the reason they can't use the mini sectors to determine the grid um, position is because there's no real way to reconcile how how you would manage um, teams and drivers that did something like cut a corner because you could get an amazing mini sector. You could get the fastest mini sector if you completely cut a corner, but that would completely compromise you for the whole sector. Okay, so how would you reconcile that? And also, how would you reconcile uh, a mini sector in which two cars are on at pretty much level on the track, but one is off the track, let's say on the grass, but slightly ahead? 
because the other driver would say, well, hold on a minute, I was more on the track than you. I'm, I'm, you know, more within the rules. So that's why we use whole sectors. We use whole sectors because it kind of prevents those questions from arising because they usually put sector points are usually put on straights and in places where it's pretty clear to see the the, the order of things mm-hmm. and then they but, you know they said well we're gonna the safety car is gonna come out you're gonna get led on by safety car safety car comes comes in and then there's no overtaking until the safety car line you know which happens to be you know over the start finish line so that's it. No one could overtake until the the uh, the safety car line, and and that means no overtaking until everyone crosses the line. So that was it. That was the end of the race. Now mm. that's just by the book. That's that's mm. fine by me. It was a pretty dull ending. Um, but perhaps after that last red flag, that's exactly what we wanted. And then very very quickly, in terms of reinstating the the Alpines, I don't think there'd been any chance of that anyway because they didn't they weren't able to return to the pits under their own power. So I think they made the right choice there, which is they they say, well, if you didn't make it back to the pits in your own power, everyone can start in the, the grid order, but there's just going to be two spaces in front of you where two cars should have been. So as soon as you move, that's it. You you, you make up that place. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I think they reconciled the ending pretty well. Whether or not you think the FIA did a good job up to that point will completely depend on i think whether or not you are angus or me (laughs) Mm. do you not see similarities though between the signs incident and the uh lance stroll incident of the first few laps yes i do and i think lance stroll should have got penalty i was very very surprised that he didn't get a penalty Um, i'm not saying the Mm. fia is you know perfect and um i thought it was weird that stroll um didn't i guess the 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 only saving grace for i think for stroll was you may are you may be able to argue that he had nowhere to to go and so that collision was a bit more unfortunate whereas science i i would say science sort of more did like a bottas in hungary which is a, a really good reference race to watch for this sort of one person creating a bit of a disaster I mean, Stroll's been quite lucky throughout this year so far. Let's not forget the first ra- first lap of the first race, um, if you can think that far back, when uh, he tagged Fernando Alonso, of all people, and didn't get a penalty. And Alonso was saying, why didn't he get a penalty? So I'm not sure whether or not everyone's just got their blinders, like the blinkers on when it comes to Lance Stroll. Like, oh, it's only Stroll. We won't give him the penalty this time. But yeah, I think, you know, think a penalty would have been fair for him as i think it would be fair for science but maybe i'm just a bit more consistent maybe i don't i don't have access to all the telemetry the data and and all the camera angles that the stewards have and also the the steward support group have um over in i want to say switzerland i think they are i think they're in geneva um so i i might be you know just not privy to all the information but from my perspective i think it was they were both deserving of penalties, but critically, I think science was deserving of a five second. It's interesting because I disagree with the stroll points. I'd say that the argument that he was left with not enough room is correct because from what I saw, he indeed did get pushed over because Alonso moved over, so stroll moved over because he had to move over. He had to move over. And then Leclerc was there. In the uh, in the 
in the hole which Stroll had previously filled. Um, <laughs> the Stroll hole. To go, <laughs> the Stroll hole. Oh God. Uh, to to go back to the previous point on uh, how would I have conducted the race? Well, my honest opinion is that. If I had conducted the race, boring old me would have let them <laughs> run behind the safety car for the last four laps, mm. even if that meant the debris had to be cleared up. And then we would have had peace and quiet and points, <laughs> etc. <You> <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, unpopular opinion, but I, I do want to yeah, compliment how you, you both raised the point about the inconsistencies. If we are to look at it, it says what actually happened. I agree with Tom, the Alpines were the masters of their own, the architects of their own downfall. Um, Pierre Gasly, who was, if I'm right in thinking, was alongside Science when Science punched into into Alonso. Um, then on the exit of the corner got overtaken, I can recall this because I watched the onboards about uh, an hour ago. He then gets overtaken by, I think, Piastri or Norris and Hulkenberg on the outside and then doesn't notice that Ocon's there. Um, which despite my little jab at Ocon earlier this was if you were to pin it on someone it was Gasly not mm-hmm. noticing or not looking in his mirrors very similar to do you remember when um, Perez and Ocon were teammates in Singapore and Perez came around the corner and just didn't notice Ocon was there and punted Ocon into the wall <laughs> yes um, it's very similar yeah. to that um, but then yes I also agree with what you say Tristan about how if if Alonso got reinstated to third then his tangle with Carlos Sainz never happened so why is Sainz getting a penalty you had a situation where Sainz was on the radio after the, uh, in, on the last lap basically begging the stewards to in his words let them talk to him first before they gave him a penalty and that's fair enough because if you're going to wipe an incident from the history books then you should wipe any possibility of a penalty being given out arguably mm, yep. um, Nick DeVries and Logan Sargent eh, they were like last anyway who cares um, <laughs> they can stay in the gravel but yeah it was and it's interesting you've got you've got um, it, it again comes back to what I said earlier it literally depends on what side of the argument you're on you've got Aston Martin who very much would like the reinstatement because they went from in a split second 27 points as a team to zero and I'm sure that's something they very much want to avoid while mm. someone like Haas or McLaren I mean, you had Hulkenberg up in fourth, and you had like Norris in fifth, Grand Joe in sixth, perhaps Piastri in seventh. So you've got teams there who can make for Haas getting six points on Sunday. That's like a fantastic start, considering the uh, considering as well we included them in our discussion of will they ever get points on the previous episode or two, um, mm. and for them to then get six of them in race three do literally what teams want to do at that end of the field, which is take advantage of carnage, which is to mm. leap in and bag some points when everything's going off in front of them. They would much rather have 12 points than 6. It goes without saying, because that can make a, a, that can make millions of pounds of difference when they compare to the likes of Alpha Tauri or Williams or their their direct rivals at the end of the season. I think that, yeah, it literally depends on what point of view you are, but I think that if there's one conclusion, it's that the the order that was made was a strange one. It was um, there were inconsistencies, I'd say, which is not unlike the FIA. Um, and it kind of, I think, it just all, all in all, just characterised a chaotic conclusion to the uh, to the events on Sunday. Chaotic conclusion. There we go. I don't the think so. The, uh, I, I think it's not one because they. I think you're wrong in in 
saying that the lap never happened. The lap happened. To be clear, the laps tick up. That's not what doesn't happen. What doesn't happen is any of the, the changes to the grid. That's the only thing in the grid position, the, the position of the cars. That's the only thing that gets wiped when they go back to the previous order. They've never said, and the rules specifically don't say, that the the actions of the previous lap was that are, are, are undone and ignored. Otherwise, you'd never be able to penalise anyone under a red flag. So, Sainz did hit another car and did get a penalty. But because he did so before anyone had completed, or before the the, the cars had completed Sector 1, the FIA don't have a reference from which to restart the race under the new grid order. So they have to go back to the previous grid order. Okay, it's gate. It's just gating system. It's, they're not saying, and no one is ever saying, that the actions of the previous lap are completely ignored and negated after that point. So that's not what happened. And so I think to suggest that Sainz shouldn't get a penalty because they ignore the grid changes and the order of the car changes, I think that that's a mistake. And I think that's a, a misconception that's been carried throughout social media and also in a few articles I've read as well. Because all the FIA did is after the crash, after the red flag, when they restarted the race, they said, well, we don't actually have the order in which everyone emerged out of that incident. So we just have to go to the previous um, point we did have an order which happens to be the start science did hit someone people did crash out otherwise you could make the argument that if none of that happened then all the all, like uh, let's say alpine could say well then hold on a minute if that never happened then we were running on our uh, you know under our own steam so we should be able to fix our car and get that back on the grid because the rule is if you, you, know, you can't get if you don't get back onto your own power, you can't restart. So that's what's happened. There's no argument from, I think, any of the stewards or, or any one of the, F, of the Formula One executives to suggest that what the, the stewards are doing is completely ignoring a lap. The lap does count still, just not the resultant order after the lap. Hmm. I think it's incredibly harsh as well when we look back at the Stroll incident, he's not given a penalty there either. He, it's almost a double whammy, I get the impression with this one, because it was a fairly, you could say, neither here nor there type incident. No malice or maliciousness in it, it's simply just one car slightly touches the other and an unfortunate series of events comes from that. So that's where I think the sense of injustice is coming from, from a Ferrari and Ferrari powered uh, side of the grid, if you will, because you've got one incident with Lance Stroll where he's got no penalty. Meanwhile, you've got an incident with Carlos Sainz where he's then now, dare I say, exactly the same thing, and he's hit doubly as hard. So it's difficult for the FA to judge, I appreciate. It's impossible to please everybody, but I think that's where the sense of bewilderment comes from, really, when it comes to, to that one, really. But um, difficult to judge, really, because the precedent is, if they don't know the grid or there hasn't been a sector, they go back to, to the one previously. But um, yeah, rather them than me making the decisions, put it that way. 
Right then, with time running short, we're getting towards the end of this episode. And I believe, Tristan, you've had a, a little chat with AI. And AI's come back to you and given a review, if you will, to this chaotic round three of the 2023 Formula One season. Go for it. As indeed. I was wondering whether or not AI would be able to put us out of our jobs. And um, I don't know. I don't think it is, but it's surprisingly close. I must I must admit I was um, surprised uh to, to see what it could produce. So I had a little bit of a play with a, a particular popular AI that I'm sure our listeners out there will know which one I'm talking about, but I don't particularly want to plug it. Um, and so I, I thought I wondered, I've heard from, from you, Tom, about what you think of this uh, Grand Prix. I've heard of you, Angus, what you, what you think of this Grand Prix. So I thought I'd ask the, the AI, what did it think about this um, particular Australian Grand Prix? And it said... The event was highly anticipated and fans from around the world flocked to the city to witness the thrilling race. As the engines revved on the race day, the crowds roared with excitement, eagerly awaiting the start of the competition. The drivers and their teams had worked tirelessly to prepare their cars for the challenging circuit and the tensions were high as the race got underway. Throughout the race, there were several intense moments as drivers jostled for position and made daring overtakes. Lewis Hamilton, driving for Mercedes, took an early lead, but Max Verstappen of Red Bull Racing was hot on his heels, determined to take top spot. As the laps ticked by, Hamilton and Verstappen continued to battle it out, with neither driver winning to give an inch. The Australian sun beat down on the track adding to the intensity of the competition in the end it was Verstappen who emerged victorious crossing the finish line just seconds ahead of Hamilton to take the top spot on the podium the crowd erupted in cheers as Verstappen celebrated his hard-fought victory the Australian Grand Prix had once again delivered a thrilling spectacle of high-speed competition and Verstappen had proved himself to be the most talented drivers in the world <laughs> so uh, he is all the talented drivers in the world. The race may have been over, but the memories of this exciting event would last a lifetime. Wow. I think it's looked at the timing data and seen that yeah. um, Hamilton was like only just behind Verstappen and been like, mm, it was close to the end and just completely not not known <laughs> that you know, Verstappen basically peeled off and ran away and also has no reference either to the fact that the, i don't think the crowds did really cheer at the exciting ending and <laughs> they trundled past your ai because say your ai has seen that the top 12 drivers were, fit, were separated by 6.5 seconds and it's gone whoa that's an incredible race the closest finish in <laughs> formula one history yeah i thought we had some lukewarm takes but geez i can uh breathe, <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief that you know ai is not about to take over this podcast at the very least <laughs> Okay, then, so we've heard what the AI thinks of this Grand Prix. Angus, was there anything that the AI might have missed there or many different things? Go for it. I'd say that it's missed the fact that Aston Martin are extremely lucky. As I referred to earlier in the podcast, they went from a a scenario where they had zero points with Alonso being spun round and Stroll in the gravel trap to a scenario where instead they left with 27 points intact um, after the order was reinstated. So I think as well, you could argue that Aston Martin, any race where they continue to show they have pace, makes them a winner because a lot of us are perhaps waiting for Aston Martin to inevitably drop off and slow down and not be up at the sharp end. But once again, both drivers within six-tenths of pole, um, mixing it with Ferrari and Mercedes. So Aston Martin definitely 
uh, my winners from the Australian Grand Prix weekend. Losers, I think, through a combination of his his poor luck with the pit stop strategy, not anticipating the red flag, and also with the power unit deciding to cough and splutter like I have the last week um, mm. and give up. Uh, George Russell. Um, I think we don't often, as often these days, see the car have such a big fire uh, on its termination uh, as the Mercedes did, but there was definitely um, signs that engine had run its race and was mm. completely done yeah. with a life as a combustion engine. So George Russell, <laughs> because those two big bits of bad luck on a weekend where he qualified well, he started strongly. By the way, can we note how forceful he was to Verstappen at the start? He pulled alongside mm. and then gave him the big, gave him the big old see you later shove out onto the uh, onto the curb, the mm. the speciality which Verstappen has been perfecting over the last uh, seven to eight years, and no doubt mm. um, would expect every driver to comply with until he is the driver on the receiving end. But yeah, a weekend that could have um, blossomed and flowered for Russell in the end just fizzled out and combusted. Quite literally, yeah, yeah. And for my winners and losers, I'm going to talk about two very old teams of Formula One who had contrasting fates and are now neck and neck, or very close, should I say, in the Constructors' Championship. So the winner has got to be McLaren. We were talking about this race last week being a make or break, and they must have heard us because a double points finish for them. You've got Oscar Piastri scoring good points at his home Grand Prix. Uh, Lando Norris as well in the points as well, which means now when you look at the Constructors' Championship, they are in fifth place and a bearing down dare I say on Ferrari had a quite a dodgy weekend the the DNF to start with in terms of Leclerc you also had the controversy regarding Carlos Sainz he scored no points as well we saw Ferrari doing reasonably well in the uh, testing element of this season doing fine at the first race as well only indeed qualifying well in various aspects but Looking at this Grand Prix, looking at the retirement as well at Bahrain uh, for Leclerc, you've got to go and say Ferrari really needs to go and up their game and improve because if they don't, there's going to be fighting more for P5, maybe even P6 with Alpine if those cars are able to finish in the uh, Grand Prix coming up versus, let's say, P3, P2, P1 in the constructors, really. I thought they'd be much higher up or indeed um, a lot more competitive with uh, Mercedes owns how uh, uncompetitive they were at the start of the season, Mercedes, that is. But yeah, McLaren doing well. We were talking you know, in Grand Prix gone by, or episodes gone by, should I say, about whether they would score points in a healthy amount in one race. So maybe all the the naysayers or the doomsters saying it's going to be a really dodgy season for McLaren, i.e. us last episode, were perhaps a bit too premature to say so, and they could be actually doing quite well. But time will tell, but a good Grand Prix for them. And um, Ferrari, the trajectory is downwards, but uh, McLaren may be going in the other direction. But we'll see what happens in terms of Baku and uh, the Grand Prix is coming up as well to see if this is all, say, a flash in a pan, uh, a snapshot, if you will, or whether this is an actual trend. But we'll uh, uh, wait with beta pressure, we say. And on that note, it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 7 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. A reminder as ever, you can follow us on Twitter or on TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. The episode in its entirety will be posted on Twitter. There will also be shorts from this episode and the episodes gone by. So if you want to go and see our, our hot takes or our opinions on topics previously, then do go on to very 
various social media pages of ours to go and uh, listen to them and uh, tell us what you think of course we'll be back next week we've got quite a break until the next Grand Prix as I said there that being the Baku Grand Prix in Azerbaijan so we'll be back to discuss more about what happened down under next week and uh, also rumours surrounding Formula 1 and what's going to happen next in terms of uh, what we get to see and how we get to see it until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you as I say next week <laughs>